Today marks the last in our reflective and challenging winter sermon series, Journey Inward, Journey Outward, Spiritual Formation and Ethical Action in the Christian Life. Last week, you may recall that we focused on the theme of inner justice, and so we conclude our series by addressing outer justice. Searching the City Streets. We will be looking at the outward expression of living faith through justice. Through justice. So I want you to picture Charlie Brown and Lucy leaning against the philosophical wall and Charlie says, You know what I wonder? Sometimes I just wonder if God is pleased with me. So he says to Lucy, do you ever wonder if God is pleased with you? And she says, God just has to be. (laughs) Well, that's the question that Jeremiah asked of himself and his people. Is God pleased with us? That's a sobering question if taken seriously. When I read the The text in preparation for today, I instinctively wished I could have worked with something else. It's a message that's hard. Search all of Jerusalem and see if there be just one person, just one, who does what is right and tries to be faithful to God. And if you do, the Lord will forgive the entire city. And the unbelievable finding is that there is no one, not one soul in the holy city who is faithful. People were not paying attention to God. They were committing adultery. The men were like stallions, neighing, lusting after their neighbor's wives. Therefore, should not the Lord punish them? You see, that's a hard, hard passage to deal with. Now, before we go on struggling with this tough issue of justice, I want to tell you just a little bit about Jeremiah and his time. Jeremiah grew up in Anatoth, which was about three miles away from Jerusalem. His father, Hilkiah, was a priest, and so he was well-steeped in the Jewish tradition. Jeremiah received his call to ministry at a young age in the year 626 B.C. We know that. It's recorded in the book. King Josiah was on the throne. It was during Jeremiah's time that the Assyrians to the north were in decline and Babylon was on the rise. So the children of Israel had become complacent. They weren't worried about the powers to the north as they weakened. And the moral fabric of the people had just simply unraveled. Injustices started popping up. Idols were being worshipped. And by the turn of the century, even child sacrifice, which is mind-boggling to us, child sacrifice had returned. It was during these times that Jeremiah received his call to prophesy. How would you like that assignment? 
after some understandable resistance, Jeremiah said, okay, all right, I'll do it. And thus he became a nabi, a nabi, a prophet, an appointed spokesman. Nabi literally means to, to bubble up, to bubble up, to bubble up, offering to people ways that lead to life and effervescent life and away from doom and destruction. And Jeremiah tried and tried and tried. He argued with his people. And then at times he would argue with God. For Jeremiah loved his people and he loved God and he saw this disconnect. And he tried to somehow find a way to get them to come together. But as much as he tried, he was torn by this anguish. So now we're going to turn to our text for this morning. God says, search the city. Search if you will, the city streets. See if there be just one person, and if so, I'm going to forgive all of Jerusalem. In Jeremiah, God is seeking out penitent people, even before they are aware of their need of it. The forgiveness and mercy of God run in advance of God's people. Think about that in your own life. God's mercy, God's grace runs in advance of your behavior. God's will is to restore God's people and extend forgiveness. That's what God wants to do. Things got so bad that God purged the people in an attempt to restore them, but they wouldn't return. It takes some effort on our part to return to God as God extends grace and forgiveness to us. In verse 3 we read, Surely the Lord looks for truth. He struck you, but you paid no attention. He crushed you, but you refused to learn. You were stubborn and would not turn from your sins. The text says that they literally made their, te- their faces harder. Jeremiah thought to himself that Maybe the reason he couldn't find a just and faithful person in all of Jerusalem because he was looking at the poor, the the common person. So he, he thought, I'll go to the rich, the powerful, those in positions of prestige. Surely I can find one there, but not a single one. They were blind to the real needs of the people and for the most part were self seeking individuals. Carolyn Coates, in her book, Things Your Mother Always Told You But You Didn't Want to Hear, she says, the one who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. Or, as the great author of the South, Flannery O'Connor, puts it in The Habit of Being, you say one becomes evil when one leaves the herd. I say that depends entirely on what the herd is doing. Well, the herd wasn't doing so great in Jeremiah's time. You see, the people were being lulled into apathy and a sense of false security by unrealistic optimists 
who were saying, oh, it can't happen here. Nothing can ever happen to us here in Jerusalem. So, in verse 12, Jeremiah quotes the people as saying, God won't do anything. We won't have hard times. We won't have war or famine. This false security combined with the prosperity God gave them, instead of making the people grateful, it led to conceit, haughtiness, self-sufficient thinking, and, yes, depravity. Nothing like that ever happens in our time. Jeremiah found that the apathy of the poor, and especially the price of power for the wealthy, was that conscience, conscience was discarded. Unfortunately, the price of walking outside of God awareness brought on their own undoing and doom with the eventual conquest of Babylon. Jeremiah, Jeremiah finally had to come to the painful concession that his people had missed every opportunity to change, and they were too far gone. Civil rights leader and that great clergy person of the South, Martin Luther King Jr., once shared this incredible insight. Procrastination is still the thief of time. Life often leaves us standing bare, naked, and dejected with a lost opportunity over the bleached bones and jumbled residue of numerous civilizations are writ the pathetic words too late. Too late. We still have a choice today, he concluded. Nonviolent coexistence or violent or violent co-annihilation. We must move past indecision to action. Action. Now, I don't know what all the answers are to the conflict going on in Ukraine, but I know it's a terrible tragedy. And I saw on social media where two brothers who are famous athletes there came on and encouraged their country folk to act now, they said, act now before it's too late, calling them to rise up and fight to keep their democracy. In the face of such violence and war and this tragic, tragic situation. Rise up, take action, they called, before it's too late. As we, here in our place and our time, consider our lives, one of the questions for us to struggle with as we conclude this sermon series is, what is justice anyway? What is justice for us in our time? In the Bible, the concepts of mishpat and tzedakah Justice and righteousness go hand in hand. 
Justice is fairness and equality. Righteousness is a way of being. Gentleness. Compassion. And kindness. These two words are the basis of all relationships we are taught in the Bible. Justice and righteousness. Right-wising. Making relationships right. Relationships don't get made right by injustice, by unfairness, by inequality, by putting some people down over here and others up over here. The Bible calls us to see ourselves as created in God's image, all as God's children. Different, but not better than. Unique, but all loved equally by God. Justice is relieving oppression and working against injustice. Righteousness is the quality of a person that makes a relationship right. And we know when our relationships aren't right. Again, I want to draw on the words of Martin Luther King Jr. He wrote, As long as there is poverty in the world, I can never be rich, even if I have a billion dollars. As long as diseases are rampant and millions of people in the world cannot expect to live more than 28 or 30 years, I can never be totally healthy, even if I just got a good checkup at the Mayo Clinic. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the way God made our world. Love without justice is a Christian impossibility, says Alan Payton in his Dorothy Day book. And he concludes, it can only be practiced by those who have divorced themselves from religion. Who dismiss a concern for justice as politics and who fear social change much more than they fear God. Whenever a pursuit of justice is perceived to be political, it misses the point that God calls all of us to justice, to fairness, to right relationships. And so it was that great statesman Thomas Jefferson who could say, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. God is just and sides on the side of justice. God expects the same for God's people. And so I want to remind you of a passage that I shared briefly last Sunday. It's from Amos, the prophet. First, he says this, Seek good, seek good, and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gates. And then, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
That's what the prophets call for. It's for us in our time to work out the irrigation system. Micah 6.8. You know this text. He has shown you, O people, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God's justice is to be our justice. Jeremiah would say, and Scripture tells us, that God is love and truth. So justice is truth and love in action. One of the great preachers of the last century, George Buttrick, put it this way, our righteousness, our right relationship with each other and with God is justice. God's righteousness is love. It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. What prophets teach us to believe and what the world rewards as belief are not the same thing. Gentleness takes more courage than violence, and human compassion is more valuable than any ideology. Justice is both a concept and a warmth of soul with compassion. I, I believe that the best and truest lives, loves in life are often the costliest. Things such as marriage, family, friendship, church involvement. So too with justice. An investment of time and self are required, but it's worth the work. If justice then is what God really wants, how do we go about it? Motivation by guilt is seldom helpful, so I'm not going to do that. No guilt trips today. Besides, we know that ultimately our future lies in the grace of God, as our other text said, as a gift, it's nothing we can earn, as our New Testament and Paul are constantly reminding us. And yet, and yet, that doesn't give us license to just become apathetic and say it doesn't matter then if God's grace covers everything, then why do we need to do anything? No, 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 no. We are called to lives of service and to be vehicles of both God's justice and God's grace. And so we are. And I imagine that if we examine ourselves honestly, we know all too well our need to be more involved especially with justice issues. Excuse me. I know in myself that I do not always speak out against injustices and that I, I don't always go the second mile on behalf of the poor and the afflicted. I need to remind myself of the words of Dag Hammarskjöld, the late great statesman and past general secretary of the United Nations. In our era, he wrote, the road to holiness necessarily passes through the world of action. In other words, he's saying one cannot be holy without taking on action to make a difference in God's world. 
there's so much to be done. And at times it, it can feel overwhelming. I know it does for me. Edward Hale wrote, I'm only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can. Of course, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And I'd like to just share a few ideas as kind of just to prime the pump, if you will, for you to think about. As things begin to loosen up and we can do more and take on more active roles in the world around us, we can do things like volunteer where it feels safe to do so. We have had a strong relationship with Harbor Interfaith Services, and that's a place where we can volunteer. Family Promise, we're going to be hearing more very soon as we consider our Easter offering for Family Promise, but also finding ways that we can continue to be involved there. Things like food distribution. As we consider things in our society, physical abuse and racism and many other forms of discrimination and marginalization, these things are still very active and real as, as we've considered throughout our sermon series. And we need to find ways to make a difference, one by one, working with other people to make a difference. So we think of our world issues of war and the situation in Ukraine, and violence, hunger, the things that continue to plague the landscape of our globe. There are times when we may be called to communicate with our politicians and being involved politically, regardless of our party. That's not the point. But to make a difference on issues of justice and compassion and peace that are so very important. There are ways to get involved through the United Church of Christ, our worldwide programs for justice and peace. And we will be rekindling our earth stewards here at the church in the near future. These are just some of the ways that we can get involved, and I'm sure you know of others. All of us are but God's instruments who do our little bit and pass by, wrote Mother Teresa. So in closing, I just want to offer and encourage one request. That's it. Just one request out of this sermon. I'm going to ask that everyone listening who has the physical and mental capacity, which I think includes everyone here, um, I'd like you to just do one more thing for justice than you're already doing. Just one more. I'm not going to be prescriptive. I won't know unless you tell me. But I want to encourage you just to pick up one more thing that you can do for justice. Right now, I hope each of us will consider that. Finding a way to use our life energy, our right-wising of relationships, to find one more thing for justice. And then, as we're searching the city streets, perhaps, perhaps 
just perhaps, maybe, we'll see each other. Amen.